Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is Kevin Kaufman, your host of the Kevin and Fred Next Level Podcast, the podcast where we bring you weekly business tips and tricks, as well as in-depth interviews with leading minds in real estate and entrepreneurship to help you take your business to the next level. All right, Next Level Podcast listeners and viewers, uh, today I'm joined by my good buddy, Luke Jayton. Um, one of the things I love about this podcast is that I get to interview my friends, and this is one of those instances where I get to interview a friend of mine who is in marketing and in business and doesn't sell real estate, although knows a lot about business, period. And this came about because we were talking recently. Actually, we weren't talking. I've been reading your Facebook posts about business <laughs> a lot. And because uh, when you go into your business posts, when you're not talking about rock climbing, um, they're fascinating, like the things that you pick up. So I thought it'd be cool to record an episode, probably talk about some direct response stuff and kind of your background and a few things like that. So um, thought it'd be a good, good time to get together today. We met sweating, though. We did. We met at CrossFit 480 2013? 12. 12? 12 is when I started. Is that when you started there? Yeah. Then yeah, 2012. Um, so we met there and then I, I, I don't know, we started talking one day and I realized that I think you asked me what I did for a living and I was very vague and said something and you're like, I don't remember exactly how it, it was, but you, then you were like, Oh my God, you do marketing. I love marketing. Yeah. I, was, like, I could tell by you were trying to avoid the conversation. You're like, Oh, it's one of those normal guys lives in Scottsdale. He's probably got a job or something. And you didn't want to have the conversation. Really, I was like, oh, I'm at the gym. I don't really want to talk business. I'm just here to work out. Yeah, and then I come to find out you cleaned carpets. You have mailed. How many postcards do you think you've mailed in your day? Uh, millions. I don't, I don't know how many millions, but millions. Like millions of postcards. Yeah, millions of individual postcards. That's a lot of postage, and it's a lot of written copy on postage. And so the reason uh, that... I, one of the things I love about talking with Luke is he sees things a lot differently than most. He always thinks, maybe not always, but we tend to have conversations where I'm asking him about his viewpoint from a marketing perspective, regardless of the business. And that, that goes over to real estate. Like so much of what we do as realtors is actually about sales and marketing as well. It's not just about realtoring, if you will. Uh, it's not just about contracts, although that is a big and important part of it. Uh, I believe learning how to get clients, learning how to run a business, have a continuous funnel of clients and business is important, and we can learn from people no matter the industry they're in. So, Well, yeah, so my experience with realtors, uh, I, it's very brief, but I can tell you, in 1989, I got my real estate license in Arizona, and as soon as I passed the test, uh, my first wife and I, we moved to Florida. So I never, I never signed on with an agency. I mean, a, a brokerage. I never sold a house or anything. But I went through that whole process. So I understand what what you go through there, and I also understand kind of what the expectation of a new realtor is, which is, well, I've got the license now. I'm with a, a great broker. Uh, the, the sales and listings are just going to come in, and I can just kick back and. I'm going to get rich now in real estate. That, right? You know, it's funny, too, because when you go through real estate school, as you did, you realize they don't teach you a damn thing no. about actually getting a client. No, it's all um, the legal stuff. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. all the stuff. I, I, I like to tell people it's how you stay out of jail. And right. um, 
and so you you realize that. So let's do let's do this. I I would like to give a little background. So tell me about your your business experience. Like, what was the first business you had? Was it were you in high school? Was it after high school? Um, and kind of like, how did you get into becoming a marketing person? And I want to talk about that uh, in depth, obviously. But tell me about your like your first business experience. Well, I mean, my first first business experience was kind of like any like lots of kids. It was you know lawn mowing. I had lawn mowing customers and. I had friends that in high school, everybody wanted a paper route because the paper route was like, you know, it's guaranteed money and like you got to go do the thing. And I always looked at that and said, well, let's see. I, I had a friend who had one and his made him about 75 or $80 a month, which all of us kids thought was, you know, fantastic yeah. amount of money. But he was up at like four in the morning every single day, folding papers, getting them ready, getting on his bike, going into, and then once a month he had to go around and collect all the money. And I'm like, that, that's a lot of labor for 75, like at... 11, 12 years old, I'm thinking, that's a lot of labor for that amount of money. I can go mow a lawn and charge five bucks and do four lawns in a, in a uh, Saturday, make 20 bucks, and I can make the same money he's making, but I, I work one day a week. Like, I'm, I was happy with that. I thought you were, I, I was waiting for you to say, but I just paid one of my friends four <laughs> bucks per lawn, and I did 20, I got 20 clients instead. I wasn't that smart. I wasn't Mark Twain yet. You I hadn't figured Tom that piece out yet? No. Um, Something tells me that that had you thought about lawn mowing even just a little bit longer, you might have got to that point. Well, it's funny because the next business that I had, fast forward to high school, I had a landscaping business with a friend, but we did something that a lot of people, I recommend anybody in any field, whether they're in real estate or whatever, do, which is we specialized. So what we did was we bought just the equipment, partly because it was it was less expensive than going and buying everything you need to be in the full landscaping business, like lawnmowers and blowers and all this stuff. We, uh, my friend's dad had a chainsaw, and we had like a 20-foot double ladder, and we would go and do palm trees. So we would find a neighborhood that was filled with palm trees in Tucson, and we could kind of like walk through. And basically nobody would do that themselves. This is back in the days when yeah. people didn't really hire landscapers yeah. unless it was commercial. And so, because everybody mowed their own lawns, but nobody's going to go climb up a 30-foot tree. And so we'd knock on the door, hey, you know, we know we're in the neighborhood, we notice your palm tree needs to be done, and we'd, we'd do that. And so we could go through a neighborhood, like, in an afternoon, and between the two of us make 300 bucks. So, and it was, it was amazing. We, it, we did that after school, like, you know, our senior year, almost every day after school. It's funny you say that, because here... We're recording this, and it's what mid two thousand nineteen, right? Yeah. And you said specialize, and that I have had that conversation with more people in the last six months than I've ever had in my entire career. Which, granted, is only about twelve years now in real estate. Right. Uh, we're talking to realtors about guys. We probably we need to like we actually it's time to niche down. If you're we're a generalist, you're going to die. Yeah. Like things have changed, and our industry is is changing a lot with technology and, and a lot of these. Uh, technology companies that are coming in and really taking out some of the parts of the industry that, for the most part, you well, know, I know your I know your story. You got yeah. it. Short sales was your specialization. Yeah. In the beginning, that was how. Like, it was just narrowed down to. Yeah, but that wasn't because I was smart enough to have a niche. No, you. F you I, I stumbled that's into where it was, and I was like, "Well, shit! I know how to do that. Nobody else right. wants to do it." But. You, you know, I remember reading one time, and this was years ago. I bet this was seven, eight years ago. I read it, and it's, the book's significantly older than that. You, you probably have read it, a book by Al Rice and Jack Trout called like "22 Immutable Laws uh -huh, of Marketing," uh -huh. right? And one of them is like niche. Like you, yeah. you go really small in a niche. 
And it's so funny because ever since I read that, I just found that theme to show up over and over again and to be more and more true. And a lot of people, like in our industry in real estate, I think a lot of agents are scared that we're going to, quote, end up like the travel agents. But if you know anything about the travel agency world, travel still, agents, they still, still exist. And what are they? They're all specialists. And they, totally. they make a pretty good income too. Right. Well, here's the thing. The fear in specialization, I know, because every time I give some, like a new client this advice, the big fear is, well, what about all the people I'll be leaving behind? What about I, if, I, if I cut out that part of my business, that's, well, wait a minute, how many of those are you getting now? None? So you're just leaving it open just in case? No, the better you specialize, the more you'll clean up and take all of a market that, is after, that wants that one thing that yeah. you got. I mean, it, it's pretty cool. So you you saw that you specialized early on. I just thought, that was accidental. It's accidental I, too. I, but you just said like, hey, you recommend that you do it right. even in real estate. And I don't think that most of us in real estate think like that. We don't right. necessarily think like because we think we're gonna. Well, I'm gonna miss everything else. The good ones do. Yeah, I can pick them out. I'm not even in your industry, and I can see advertising that's for you know. Yeah. And I can tell the specialists, and I can tell who's making money. Yep. Well, you know, I, I interviewed a guy named Leo. Recently, and Leo owns a tech company. Like it's getting pretty big, but he used to be the number one agent in the country okay. uh, when he was still selling. And he absolutely he that he was always in a niche. He was always okay. in a niche, and that niche was always able to bring him a ton of business from you know one or two clients could bring could bring in a ton of deals. Right. And um, so it's just something that's been showing. It can be up specializing more more. in uh, in an area. It can be specializing in a price point. It can be spe- there's so many different a certain things. type. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. So, you know, okay. buyers or sellers or only people relocating from another state. Like, there's all kinds of specialties you can do. Oh, yeah. There, there really are. Um, okay, so do the landscaping business, but let's, let's, what about the first time you ever had to like market? Like, tell me about like that. I was that, a carpet cleaning business. business. So, right after high school, um, started, a, started a carpet cleaning business. And this was sort of my jump into, like, I didn't know anything about advertising. I didn't know, I mean, other than having, you know, answered ads and, and, you know, like everybody. Yeah. Uh, so you go into it and at first, so we've got this business, we got very, very small budget and, uh, it's, it's got to work. Like there's no other income. And, um, so I start off like most people do just mimicking what the competitors are doing. So look in the yellow pages. What do other carpet cleaners use for their ads? Okay. Well that must work. A picture of your truck and all that. Just stupid, stupid shit that, that, I think every new person does because they, they're too scared to use their own brain. And instead they go, well, this is what the whole market's doing. Yeah, the whole market's floundering. <laughs> Don't follow <laughs> yeah. that. Um, but we very quickly started doing things to specialize. So one of the things that I did to set myself apart in that business was there wasn't anybody at the time that would give a hard quote over the phone. So my USP, my unique selling proposition was... Every other person in that at, at that time frame in the eighties, that that industry was known as scammers. People that would yeah. like you know bait and switch. Get they get you to let them in their house, and then everything's an upsell, and they'd have you know, your carpet half done, and then tell you it was a more like it was just really shady. And I said, well, how could we set ourselves apart? Well, we did a couple of things. First of all, um, I and all the people I hired, we wore uniforms. Like nobody was doing that either at the time. So 
clean white shirt, white pants. Like, so we looked completely different than all the hippies that would come, you know, the pot smoking. I mean, there was a, there was a element in that industry that was, nobody wanted those guys in their house. Yeah. So we did that. But the big USP was we put in our advertising an exact price. So it was like five rooms in a hall for 50 bucks. Right. And it was 50 bucks. And we'll give you a hard quote on the phone. Like, you know, there was some, uh, a, a little bit of like fine print around, like, call us if you have any questions, if it goes over this size or whatever. They would call and we would give them a quote over the phone without sight unseen. Like, we don't even need to see it. So when they, when we got there and we got done and it was the same price, they'd go, okay, what do I owe you? No, that's 50 bucks. And they're like, what? Wait, what? <laughs> and the referral business that came from that was insane because people would, like, now we're trustworthy. Yeah. And we were doing something nobody else would do. When, so let me ask you this question. Did you did you get into the carpet cleaning business because you knew how to market or because you thought, hey, I can, I can make this business work? I didn't know how to market. I saw, so I, my first job, I don't want to go through the whole thing because it would take too long, but my first job out of high school was working for this merchandising company and it was really great pay. But I hated the job, couldn't stand it. And I quit and didn't know what I was going to do. And a family friend of my parents owned a carpet cleaning business. And, and I said, they said, well, you can go get a job working for Gary for a little while. And it, it was like an interim thing. Like, I don't right. know what I'm going to do next. And after about two or three weeks, he trusted me enough to kind of show me what was going on. I noticed what we were collecting. And I'm, you know, like I'm always adding things up and I'm going, and they live in a really nice house. He always drives new cars. I'm looking at the books, like we're doing several thousand dollars a week and most of this is profit. Huh, I could I could start this. This is easy. You know, so it was literally yeah. just seeing somebody else doing it that made me want kind to of realize like, oh, wow, I could actually, I could do that. So this, so, guy, this guy's a doofus and he's making five grand a week. Okay, like, let me man, in. I could, I could do that too. So, okay, so you, you start to figure that out. Like, hey, if I stand out, I've got this, I've got this different USP because I'm not scamming people. We're clean cut. We right. show up in a, in a uniform. Business starts to grow. Right. And then what happens from there? So my idea was that immediately is I wanted to franchise. And because, you know, I wasn't in this to, you know, just grow a carpet cleaning business. Right. And I was 19 at the time. And I went and met with some lawyers about setting up all the documents and everything you need to do to, to franchise. And they came back and they said, okay, great. You know, to get licensed in all the states and get your initial UFOC and everything. At the time, it was like $75,000. And that might as well have been $100 million to me at the time. So... That, to me, because of where I was coming from, felt like an insurmountable goal. And so immediately I just lost all interest in the business. It was like, l let me look for something else. And that's when I started like hunting around for direct response stuff. So I ran the business, but my heart wasn't in, in, in it anymore at all. Interesting. And not too long after that, I sold it. Okay, so in that, is that when you made a jump to direct response? It was kind of, there's some overlap there. Okay. So I was, um, you know flipping through a Sports Illustrated magazine. Swimsuit issue? I don't know, maybe. I can't imagine like reading Sports Illustrated if there weren't swimsuits. That's what I'm just I'm thinking like, hold on a second, <clears throat> Luke's reading a swimsuit, or uh, Sports Illustrated, like yeah. Cindy Crawford was on the cover. I, like I didn't buy the magazine, I was flipping through it, and there was an ad in there for this book 
called the Royal Road to Riches. And it was like one of these typical, you know, get rich quick, like buy my book and learn how to become a millionaire kind of thing. And it was this full page ad in Sports Illustrated. I know how much those cost. That's not that uh, cheap. And, and, you know, the book was like 15 bucks. And I was like, well, that's probably bullshit, but whatever. It's 15 bucks. So I bought it. And that was really my first exposure to anything that looked like direct response. And so when the book came, I started reading it. And within about one chapter, I was like, oh, I get it. It's about selling this book. <laughs> and then building it back in, learning all the yeah. stuff that, that, that goes into that. And so that was my, that was my first exposure. Okay, cool. So, and, and we can advance this a little bit. So you start, you, you realize like, oh, okay, there's something here. Yeah. Again, not exactly like the carpet business, but something where you go, oh, I see what they're doing here. I could do this. Probably thinking I could probably even do this better is my guess. Yeah. Um, so tell me what happens. Like when do you, when do you start getting into your first direct response type of business uh, where it's like you're clear that that's what you are, you're, you're direct response marketing now? Yeah, see that it was not that it was not that straight of a line. Okay. There was lots of overlap in between in between there and there was probably about an 8 or 9 year period during the 90s where I was heavily involved in network marketing because that was the closest thing to direct it was like a marriage between direct response and sales and market and it's not it, honestly it's not actually any of those things but it's a little bit of each of those things you it's, know, it's like a, it's like training wheels it's funny because if you talk to some people you know some people have a weird kind of icky feeling about um network marketing yeah. and then other people go oh that's an amazing training ground for business like there's not a better training ground because i think i've never heard anybody say it that way but i believe it's because of those three things it's kind of marketing it's, it's kind a of little bit response, of sales it's sales it's yeah. relationships right right and so that's that's interesting I did pretty well in it for several years, but never really found a home. It was kind of like, oh, well, this one was great for a couple of years, and then this one was great for a couple of years. But I learned a lot of stuff, and I also got to the point where... So the other thing that that exposes you to is that industry is really, really heavy on personal development. Right. Not necessarily directly, but... They're teaching it a lot because they know that you, you need that armor you to gotta go out get and over, face you got to get over your own shit if you're going to go get rejected right. that much. Right, right. Yeah. So, so it did a lot of that. It, you know, it exposed me to Tony Robbins and like all kinds of stuff that made me think different and kind of look for other possibilities. And I would say that up until that point, um, I was kind of the anti-salesman. Like I thought sales was sleazy. And... Even though I would do sales, I always prided myself on doing it different. Like, I'm not going to do it like those other guys, right? <laughs> yeah. And I know a lot of people say that, but I, I really, I mean, I felt that way. And I felt like, well, I'm not going to sell anything I wouldn't sell to my mom. You know, like, like I had ethics, right. <laughs> oddly enough. Weird. It wasn't, wasn't just about the dollars. Yeah. So somewhere in that period, somewhere in the late 90s, 95, 96, I answered an ad um, to go sell software, medical billing software, on the phone. It was here in Phoenix. And that I had had a couple of sales jobs before that that exposed me to sales, in it, and, and I got to see it in a different light. And I said, okay, this is, this is kind of cool. But this was totally different. We were selling a piece of software that was anywhere from eight to $15,000, and we were selling it on the phone, not in person. We're selling it to people who were answering an ad in the newspaper. So 
that process, I worked there for about a year. Um, it was it was probably one of the most fun jobs. Like I've had more fun businesses, but as far as a job goes, it was probably one of the most fun jobs I've had. I mean, it was super lax. We were all on 1099, so they couldn't tell us when to show up to work. <laughs> uh, you know, so we would work Monday and Tuesday because that's when the phones would ring the most. And then, you know, like it was a fun, fun job. But the things I learned there about direct response are that office was spending about $40,000 a week in advertising. And I got to see exactly how that was done over time. Oh, wow. I got to know the person in the office who was in charge of all that. And I sat with her and like asked questions. And so this was all running in classified ads in, in the newspapers all over the U.S. Oh, wow. And so in order to make those phones ring, they they knew exactly what it would cost per call to make it run. So I started looking at metrics and things that you really care about in direct response. Um, you know, a $1 call ends up, you know, out of, out of those, five will qualify to get a package that we send out. So now it's $5 for that. The package costs $20 send it out. So we've got $25 in cost to generate a really good lead and on average one out of 20 of those will close at fifteen thousand dollars i'm like okay so like all of those things were the laying the groundwork for how i looked at every other direct response type uh business interesting so the numbers matter a lot did you start to see yourself as like was this the progression of like Hey, I th- I think I get this marketing thing, or I like this mar- this direct response marketing thing. And over time, you started to see yourself as more of that. Kind of. I mean, it's funny because I didn't. It's all. It's it's embarrassing to admit. No, I just thought I was smarter than everybody. So whenever <laughs> I would see somebody doing something, I'd go, "Oh, that's pretty cool. I could do that like three times better." So I didn't. It wasn't like directly thinking. Oh, I'm a direct response guy. As a matter of fact, during that period of time in that office, somebody said, hey, have you ever heard of Dan Kennedy? And Dan was new on the national scene. He had been around for a while, but he was kind of new on the national scene at that time. And I'm like, he showed me a couple of things. I'm like, yeah, the guy's probably just a hack. Like I didn't, I just totally dismissed it. And it's funny because the guy who asked me, his girlfriend was Dan's secretary. Oh, and Dan used to be here in Phoenix. And... Um, did, I don't know if everybody knows who Dan Kennedy is, but Dan Kennedy's a, a really well-known direct response guy. He's taught anybody that's anybody now, learn from him. Yeah, I was going to say, anybody who studied marketing on any level, uh, if they wanted to learn how to write sales copy, copy. if you want to learn, literally, you know, I actually Speaking had... Speaking from stage, yeah, like all kinds of stuff. I actually just had a probably hour-long conversation about it because I met someone the other night for the first time in person. Okay. And... Uh, he had sent me a couple books a few years ago as a thank you for something. Yeah. And one of those books was one of Dan Kennedy's books. Yeah. It was his favorite Dan Kennedy book. And uh, he's going to Dan Kennedy's event in Cleveland in a couple weeks or whatever. Um, that is like all about, it's still like print, right? Yeah. And yeah. At I mean, any but, rate, so but, I had this whole what? conversation about him. And he's in the real estate world. So yeah. I think there's there's plenty, there's enough people. And if, if you don't know who Dan Go Kennedy look him is, up. you got to look him up. Yeah. So... Suffice to say, now I respect him immensely. I think he's one of the you know the the forefathers of this industry uh, of the direct response world. I hate to call that an industry, but the direct response world. But at the time, I was so arrogant and so full of myself that it's like, no, if I see one thing, I know how to make this one percent better and this two percent better, and then I'm going to make a better whole. And so, after being in that office, I. <laughs> I was like, okay, I got the advertising down. Like, I'm not going to go compete with my boss because I'm not that much of a dick. But let's find something else to sell. And so I found this thing to sell, 
which I'll reveal in a second, it's hilarious, um, that kind of in our minds could fit into the same model to generate classified ads. Like I wanted to follow that same model but sell something different. Right. Right. I'd just like to point out really quick, like a great direct response marketer, you just wouldn't tell us what that thing to sell was, but then said, I will tell you though. Right. And so it's like an open that, loop. Yeah, absolutely yeah. it is. So <laughs> we, I convinced three other sales guys that were there. One of them was my brother and two, two of my really good friends that we should start our own office and do this. And I presented them as this thing that we're going to sell, which I'll reveal here in a second. But the thing is, we all put our savings into this. Like we had to spend, I mean, I think all together, which at the time felt like an immense amount of money, we probably put about fifteen or $20,000 up collectively to open an office. We were too cheap to have it renovated so that it could be set up like a phone room. So we did all the demo ourselves, knocked out all the walls, built cubicles, bought desks and chairs, like set up an office. Um, prepared, got all our advertising ready, put in a phone system. Back then, this is back in the days before the internet was really what it is now in phone systems. Like it was like twenty-five grand to buy a phone system. We bought that on a lease, you know. So we get in there, we get in the office, and we start taking calls the first day. And all of us are like, "Holy shit, this is going to be good." The calls were dynamite, and the package that we had built as the thing that we send out to warm them up before we actually close the sale looked fantastic and everything was great um six months into it and all and all that money and none of us drawing a paycheck for six months we were we hadn't sold one unit not one unit what we were attempting to sell was and you may have seen them after this we were ahead of our time this was like 97 we were trying to sell as as a business that people would buy almost like they would buy vending machines an internet kiosk so this big metal unit that had a pc in it it was all behind glass and everything with a little dollar bill changer you could put the dollars in and almost like an internet cafe would be like you know they they still have them overseas but it was way too early nobody was like i'm not gonna put two dollars in there for five minutes on the internet and the internet was dial-up. I, I was, was like, say, I was like, five minutes, you might almost be right, connected. Right, you yeah. might download one picture, <laughs> you know. Uh, so, so it bombed. And it was really humbling because that was the very first time yet in my whole sales and business adventure where I was like willing to admit I don't know everything. And that was actually the beginning of actually starting to really learn. Well, it's funny you say that. So um, I, was, I was speaking to a to a group of realtors yesterday. And w- one of the points that uh, the topics that came up and I really wanted to drive home because I'm passionate about it is we don't typically learn from our wins. Mo- right. Most of the really great lessons come from our, lo- and I would say pretty much all lessons come from losses. And usually the greatest things that come in our lives, whether it's like a business thing or a family thing, are usually they're following something that was really bad, whether it was tragic or right. just heartbreaking in the moment or whatever and something that you wouldn't wish on somebody else but it's it's that it's it, it, when you're winning you just you start to we tend as as people to just everything i do touched i yeah. touch turns I got, to gold i got this shit figured out right? right i got this but when we're when we're not getting the results we're <clears> expecting to get we have to i mean if we're any sort of business person or just person that wants to be open-minded and grow we have to go okay well why isn't that working what right. could i do different 
Yeah, it also could have been the name. It was called a net pecker. <laughs> I'm not joking. I know like you're not the joking. the internet this. and you're pecking a lot yeah. like a net pecker. Who the... That would have been great if you were I didn't selling that up. If you were selling them to junior high kids, like you guys would have, <laughs> you would have crushed it. There's, there's no doubt. Um, or, or like, or, or eighty year old men, like one of the two. Yeah, maybe but, we should have just put it in topless bars and just had it be like a porno. Oh, bar. totally. You just didn't have your demographic. Yeah. yeah, you said to niche that down one or two more, then and you would have got it. Yeah. So okay, so that's anyway. A, that's a bomb. You yeah, that's a total bomb. Lose money. The, lose beautiful, time, the most beautiful thing about that, though, was, like I said earlier, I came away willing to be beginner's mind yeah. and like literally go, okay, I know nothing. Well, one of the guys that I had been working with at the time um, was regaling us with all these crazy stories about having worked at Don LaPree's office, the infomercial guy that was also here in Phoenix. Um, for those of you too young to remember, he was on TV with an infomercial for, I don't know, eight or ten years now. Nah, Longer than that, ten years. Um, he was the, you know, <laughs> he was a crazy character. You remember yeah. all those infomercials? Oh yeah, the tiny classified ads, you know. And so, I always shun, shied away from that when I would hear about because I knew that was a job opportunity here in Phoenix. When I was just like, eh, I'm not gonna. That sounds cheesy or whatever. But after hearing all the stories about it, I'm like, you know, and just coming from a beginner's mind, I'm like. I'm not going there forever, but it'd be cool to learn another sales process to kind of like get another tool to put in my tool bag because they were selling in a completely different way. So I went over there and um, went through their sales training that lasted about a week or so. And it was the very first time that uh, this is another thing that is really interesting about sales. And you're probably going to contradict me here, but it's okay. It, this that was the first place that I learned the value of using scripts. Why would I? Why do you think I contradict you? I don't know. You seem like the guy that just shoots from the hip. No, I preach. I used to be. Yeah, and I did too. Uh, I believe I believe firmly in scripts because of the fact most of us who have any sort of like when you have a personality, especially if you sell the way you and I like prefer to right. sell, then we don't see ourselves as salesmen. It's going to go all over the map. Uh huh. And what, this is what I tell people. I, I'm curious what your thought is. I like to say to agents, like, well, I'm going to sound like, they say, I'm going to sound like a robot. I'm not going to sound human. And I say, actually, when you really learn a script and you internalize it, it allows you to be more present and actually be more human with that other person. And so you can be in the moment. And it's just kind of like, it's like bumpers on a bowling lane. Like, it just kind of keeps you in the lane that you need to be in. Not just that. I found... First of all, I was very resistant to it at first, but I'm like, no, I committed. I would learn this. Mm -hmm. So I learned all their scripts and everything. And as I'm reading the scripts, the guy who he had writing the scripts, uh, Forrest Webb, who basically put, like without him, that, that office wouldn't have done, wouldn't have done anywhere near what it did. But he wrote these scripts and these scripts were brilliant because they were written with the ums and ahs and everything in it, so that even a beginner who doesn't even understand how to make a script work, if they learn this, it's going to make it sound so it has no robotic sound at all. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, because the ums are like, uh, well, let me just say, and like, and there's all the stops and everything are in it. And so it did feel weird using it at first. But after about a week or so, well, first of all, let me just go back. So I go through the training. It's about a week long. You've got to learn all these scripts. You've got to learn these rebuttals. They're in a market. They were in a market that was um, highly regulated. Like the infomercial space is so 
um, in the face of the FTC and everything else. So they, the ones that stay in business, they can't say anything. Like literally, the part of what you had to learn in training, there was three pages called the Never Never List, things you could never say on the phone. The Never Never List. It was called huh? the Never Never List. You could not say success. We were selling like a business opportunity. You could not say success. Like you couldn't say the word success. Like you couldn't, there was, and there was like 200 words you couldn't say and phrases. That's crazy. And so to be able to get around that, try doing that without a script. You need a script yeah. because you're going to fall off and say something. And then you're going to get flagged and then you lose your job because they wanted to stay, you know, tight with regulations. Um, anyway, so coming out of there, I was like, man, okay, the script is good, but so I'm going to, let me get this straight. I'm going to dial somebody's phone number who bought this $50 thing on TV and I'm going to talk to them and 20 minutes later using this robotic, non-robotic robotic script, I'm going to ask them for $3,200 and a percentage of them is going to say yes. Like that, it just didn't compute because I'd never done that before. Right. So it just felt like, and this isn't thirty two hundred dollars in twenty nineteen. This is thirty two hundred dollars in nineteen ninety eight. Like that's a lot of money that, to I mean, ask for over the phone. That's probably like ten grand today. Yeah, it's very equivalent over to the phone. Yeah, in thir- in twenty minutes, that's, and they don't know me from Adam. That's insane. Yeah, so I'm sitting there thinking about that, and then just going, just let go of that. The process works. Obviously, there's two hundred sales people on the floor here. Just go do it. I sat down, dialed the first lead. Now again, I'd sold on the phone before dialed that first lead and the way the script opened up was something to the effect of like, hi, this is Luke Jayton calling from Don LaPree's office. You know, the TV show making money. How are you doing today? Like that was the opening with obviously a little bit more enthusiasm than that. I've just got to scratch my throat or else I do it the real way. And that person on the other end of the phone, the very first person I dialed was like, Oh my God. Oh my God. And you can hear a cover of the phone. It's the TV show. They're calling me. And I was like, Oh, these leads are amazing. And I immediately within like three days was like, marketing makes sales easy. Because that's what happened. He's on TV, you know, has got all this credibility with his audience, not with everybody, but with his audience, he has all this credibility that he's built up over years. And people are going, you know, all of these credibility elements, I won't list them all off, yeah. that allowed me to now talk to a stranger and have them re- receive me like they're excited to talk to me. You're making Sold a sales one. call and they're thanking me. Yes, you. yes. Yeah. And guess what? Later, I learned how to do that with my own lead. Like doing that and makes people predisposed to want to do business with you. Yeah. Marketing makes sales easy. So before when I was a salesman, I'm like, eh, marketing, whatever. Then when I became, uh, I did go through a phase where sales, whatever, I just do marketing. But really they're... They, it's a perfect marriage when they're done right. Marketing makes sales easy. Yeah, I think you nailed it. Um, you know, one of the things in in our industry in real estate, I'm just going to pause for a second. There we go. And then the then the siren stopped right, right, right. as I paused. At any rate, um, in our industry, most folks tend to either go towards marketing heavy with sort of no phone or lead right. gen, if you will. Right. Uh, and, or they go the complete opposite direction. Right. And I see very few real estate businesses, truthfully, including my own at this point, where there's a really good marriage of the two. Yeah. But I think just like any other complete business, 
Like, why wouldn't you have both? There is a guy here in the Valley that does. I'm sure. And he's, he's a Kennedy guy. There's a couple, though. That's just it. You know there's, who there, he is. There's only a couple. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's, if this is not, I mean, there's also 40,000 licensees in the oh, Phoenix area. And you could probably think of two people to do it well. Maybe I, can, th- I can only think of one that so, I'm aware of. So, what, like, this is, I think there's a lot of lessons for us just as, as real estate salespeople. And I don't care, even if you're not in real estate, you want to have a different business, maybe mortgage. Right. Oh, totally it's any mortgage. business. It's any business, period. Right. Is that that applies. Correct. And you can you can set your business up the same way. And, and I agree, like marketing and sales, <clears throat> like they complement each other. They're there to help each other. And specifically, marketing should be doing the heavy lifting. Right. I mean, like, obviously, it's not new. I mean, that's one of the things that Dan Kennedy preaches all the time to somebody that owns a, you're a chiropractor, you're a realtor, you're an insurance broker. No, you are not those things. You are the marketer of those things. Yep. That's what it is. And if you don't get that straight, it's going to be a hard road. Well, you, you, we talked, we let off this, your story about how you got, you actually went through real estate school in Arizona, mm-hmm. ne- never hung your license anywhere, but you learn how all of the, the technical things, right? The legal things, because like you're dealing with legal contracts. So, and you, like you said, chiropractor and insurance, you see yourself as, I'm the person a professional. that writes, yeah, professional. I write real estate contracts. I I, I adjust people, right. whatever the case is. Insurance, but, you got to go get a big, long license well, for that, too. Yeah, Same thing. Great. You're actually unemployed until you have somebody that says, yes, I'll do that with you, or you can do that right. to me. Right. You can sell me that. And so how do you become employed? Right. you got to market and lead generate. Right. Tons of different ways, but there's if you do it right, <laughs> I guess it was, was it Peter Drucker that said, the goal of marketing is to make sales superfluous? I believe it was. Yeah, it's something to that effect. effect. But it's like, and and really hardcore direct response can do it where there's no sales people involved. But a lot of the um, service-based sales businesses, you're not going to eliminate the human element. In fact, you don't really want to. So the the goal is to make marketing, make it so that the sales process is really just answering questions and taking an order. Yeah. You know? I mean, wouldn't that be great? I mean, think about that. Wouldn't that be great is if, all of our leads were actually just people standing in line. Yeah. You know, like at our, say you're got a burger stand. Right. And they're, they're just standing in line to go, hey, I want I want uh, the double cheeseburger and the fries or right. give me the Coke too or whatever. Right. right. I mean, that would be amazing if the rest of our businesses ran that way. Like people just literally stood right. in line for it. Um, but there's a way to make it that way is what I'm hearing. Correct. Yeah. So after that, <clears throat> I learned sort of that model and... I went and opened a sales office myself and didn't take... So once you learn the marketing and sales side of things, this is going to sound sort of harsh and cold, but it almost doesn't matter what you're selling. Like you want something ethical, you want something that serves customers, but in terms of like, you know, whether it was selling a house or selling an insurance policy, like, I don't care. Like, it's really just more about the sales and marketing process to make that happen and to make it happen in volume. And so I went and opened an office. We were selling, uh, it's like a, a discount health card, which I found at this, you know, I found on, uh, uh, in a, this place where you could go and buy wholesale goods and I could get it. The, the, the biggest attraction to me was it had huge margins, you know, it was like, you know, I could buy them in bulk for like eight bucks a piece and they had a retail value of $300. And so, how the hell are you going to sell these? You know, it's a, it's a, basically it's a medical discount card that gave you 
discounts at you know drug stores and off your prescriptions and all kinds of stuff, eyewear and, and things like that. And there were other people selling things like that at the time. But what I, what I realized was if you go out and just try to sell that, that's going to be nearly impossible. If you try to market it without selling it, it felt to me like it was going to be nearly impossible. Again, this is pre... The internet was around, but it wasn't like the internet wasn't where people were ordering stuff. This is sort of like before Amazon really got big and all that. So um, so I, I put together a marketing piece that like generated inbound calls. And one of the things that I was really keen on is when I hired salespeople, I, I wouldn't ask them to do anything I didn't want to do, which I don't know if that's good or bad, but like I, I felt for them. Mm-hmm. I didn't do, I, I hated outbound calling. So my goal was I'm going to only make the phones ring. And so when you got hired here, you're only taking inbound. Well, if you've ever sold anything and you sold on the phone, that's a cush job. People are calling and they're basically just want to ask a few questions and buy. You have to close, but like, you know, because it was a $300 thing that they didn't really know exactly what it was until you explained it a little bit more. But the idea was um, if I can have salespeople... If, the, if I make their job easy, I'll never have to replace them. And in that world of you know phone sales, the biggest problem that people had was turnover. You know, big, biggest problem people who own those rooms yeah. had was turnover, and people would leave. Well, nobody ever left. In fact, I had like a waiting list of people to come work for me because like, oh, Luke only has inbound, and that all be- that that was because of marketing. Yeah. I mean that's that, like that's pretty amazing. So if I went and told your guys downstairs that like well no there's make it only there's thirty nine thousand realtors in the Phoenix Greater Phoenix area mm-hmm. that are looking for just how does my phone ring and they want someone else to make it ring right right so I mean that's the that's the goal like that's the dream of all realtors. The key though is like how do that's I, not as hard a nut to crack as you think, as everybody thinks. <laughs> The, well, I would. I, it's my, a step by step process. Yes, and it, it requires thought and learning. Absolutely. And going, you know, I don't know. I really don't know everything. And it's this thing. I also think, too, part of it is as realtors, we come in and it is this technical thing, right? It's a legal contract. Sure. And, and so we're worried about like the A's, B's, and C's, the one, two, threes of it. And there's a lot to learn. Like it's in tip. The first time you write an offer, mm-hmm. hell, the first time you just go show a house right. and open a door with your key, and you're letting somebody else into somebody else's house, and you're you're essentially liable for all that now. Sure. There's a lot of move. You're not thinking about marketing in that moment. You're not thinking about adding another skill that you don't already have. And that I think that's part of it. And then you sort of we get set in our ways. Yeah. And so we don't go exploring these other things. That's just a hunch. I could be wrong. Maybe that's just been my experience. I mean, that's like anything, though. Like, if you get stuck in, I'm always doing the busy work to just stay one step ahead, that's where you're going to stay. It's it's the age-old saying, like, you can't just work <clears throat> in the business. You have to work on the business. Right. And I don't care what your position is. If you're a realtor on your own, if you have a team like mine, if you are on a team like, like ours doesn't matter you actually have to spend time working on your business and not not just in your business doing your job um, I you know I always look at like to look at myself as I have a job or sometimes two or three within our business with right. our group 4610 sales team and um, then I've got the time where I have to think about the business and make business decisions as well right right so let's do this I would love to share the story like to, 
to, I want to talk about postcard profits, if that's okay. Sure. Just because it's a cool story. It was it was a home run. Um, I think by any measure, can you will you just share with this? Not everyone listening to it knows what postcard <clears throat> profits is. So, what uh, is it? And, and where did it? You know, where did it, where did the idea for that come from? And um, just tell us about that journey, if you will, of kind of building something that big. Okay. Um, how long can I go? However long it takes. It's, so, my, it's my show. I get to decide. Yeah, so let me start. Let me think about where to start. Uh, <coughs> so one of the things, after, after I had a, a successful sales floor a couple of times, the, right around that time, 2002 or so, the internet, in my opinion, was finally at a place where normal, like you could actually start a business and do business online. And, I, and it sounds silly because some people say, well, no, I had a business online in 96. What I'm saying is that the mass, uh, the masses of people were willing to put a credit card online. And I don't think a lot of people remember because it was 20 years ago, yeah. but 20 years ago, it was scary to put your credit card in on, online. I remember the first cut, like, I was like, is this really safe? Like, yeah. Putting this yeah. this credit card number, we in take there? that all for granted now. Yeah. We just store it in our phone. Yeah, I'm like, click yes, yes. But but back then that was a big deal, um, and so right around that time I was watching a couple of other direct response guys online, and I was like, maybe it's time to maybe the internet is mature enough now that people in mass, um, you know, will buy stuff online, and so. To get to the postcard profit story, I'm not going to tell this whole story, but I had an initial success online that was pretty significant. It, like my first, you know, jaunt into that did like ten million dollars in seven months, selling like this eighty dollar piece of software, and it was it was super fun because it was the first time that I I started off the sales process generating a lead online and getting them to call a phone number, and then I had salespeople calling them, closing them, just like I did in prior stuff. And I got to the point where the salespeople were the bottleneck. And I was like, hmm, let's try to do this without salespeople. And so I changed some of the offer, changed the pricing around, and started doing it without the salespeople, and sales just skyrocketed. Because now it's not like, oh, there's too many leads to call. Like, they're all being sold online. And the minute that happened, it like totally changed everything for me. That, to me, is probably my first real direct response experience, 2002, selling that software online because it was the first time that I had ever sold anything where I didn't have to talk to the person. So that's true direct response. So I've never... They responded, they bought, and I just shipped them the stuff, never talked to them. I, I have... Um... No, I'm, I'm not like I'm just happy that I get to talk to you. Like, <laughs> Lots um, of people have done, but it. I'll never forget the first time that in the short sale days, we, I just we weren't thinking about the fact that we had things we could sell. Right. And the first time we put something on the on a website, and it was it was just something that what we year, used that we it? created. About it was, it was 2009. I know because I was okay. sitting in a hotel room in Orlando. Okay. And somebody. Paid paid us forty six dollars and ten cents uh-huh. for a document. Forty six ten. That's yeah. so great. So because that's, <laughs> that's how that's the kind of wise asses yeah, friend I, I are. love that. Because you know it's probably only worth it was either worth nineteen or ninety nine. Right. Forty six ten for sure. Right. Right. And so um, 
But I remember, like, that was... The, did you explain the price to anybody, why it was 4610, or did you just let it slide? Oh, no, it's, I'm sure people knew. Um, okay. I, I remember the guy who actually, I know, I won't say his name. He, he's, I wouldn't be surprised if he's listening. Um, but I remember the first person that downloaded it, he definitely knew. Okay. He, he's like, it's just, just typical Kevin and Fred, right? Right. Um, but, the, but that was, like, the coolest $46.10 I've ever made in my entire life. I know. Because we just put something there that we thought was valuable. We didn't never thought somebody else would think it's valuable. Mm-hmm. And they went click, bot, put in the credit card, mm-hmm. and then the money came to us. I was like, holy shit, that's right. awesome. So that's why I'm so fascinated by like doing this and you know, with postcard profits and with this I mean ten million dollars in sales in seven months. Yeah, eight, like, it was like a seventy nine dollars plus ten dollars shipping. It was like an it's like an $80 product, basically, and it's software. And this is before the days where you could just download software online. Everything was too slow. Yeah. Very few people had, you know, cable modems. They all had dial-up still. And so we would ship. Like FedEx would show up. The FedEx truck would show up at my garage and fill it with CDs, you know, CD-ROMs yeah. with software. And then we'd stuff them in envelopes and send them out. Like we were selling at, at the peak like 2,000 units a day. Whoa. Yeah, it was crazy. That's pretty crazy. crazy fun. But the thing is that I had the same experience where this is before can spam. I just bought email lists and get response would let you upload 5,000 a day. They had a cap. You can only do 5,000. And so I uploaded them. I built out the website. The salespeople were still already selling this, but I built a duplicate website to try to sell it without the salespeople. And hit send on the email and left a friend of mine invited me to go to a son's game. So I'm like, yeah, so I don't sit here and hit refresh and be worried if it's going to make a sell or not. Came back after three or four hours or however long a basketball game is. And I had made five grand. I was like, okay, this is going to be good. Something I want to point out here. Yeah. You, you may or may not uh, enjoy this, this as much as I do, but we tend to get mad. I see a lot of people right now in the, in the news. They're upset with like Lyft and Uber. Um, and like people will criticize Uber because they're, People are driving for Uber, teach, and essentially they're just going to be replaced, right? right. It's going to be autonomous, right? Right. right. That's that's absolutely their goal. People think the same thing about real estate agents. Sure. But you just did the same thing in that sales business. What year was that? 2002. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's the natural way. Like, hey, I own a business. How can I be more How efficient? How can I automate this? And it's not that I don't want there to be salespeople. I don't want there to be drivers. I don't want there to be realtors. It's that when someone owns a business, business and... Like, we're always looking to improve. Henry Ford didn't want to get rid of horse and carriage. They just went away. Yeah. Like, because this is better. Yeah. Like, that's just the way it is. Yeah, because if you can make $5,000 with <clears throat> with not having to pay someone half of it, then right. why wouldn't you, right? right? My, I just got to experience that, that 4610 thing again. My wife spent the last three months writing a course on having somebody get rid of their sugar addiction. So, yeah. And she put it up. She hasn't even started advertising yet, but she's put it up a couple days ago. And she comes running in the other room. Oh my God. She's almost crying. Like somebody bought my course. It's for like, that's, I made $49. Like somebody bought something. I the exact feeling that you had. And I get to experience it back through her. And I said, how does that feel? She's like, it's just amazing. And it's weird. And it's like, Oh my God, I hope they like it. Like all of those emotions. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, I literally got to feel that last week again. So that was, that's cool. That's awesome. And seeing somebody have that, the light comes on. When you're watching or hearing somebody else do it, it's kind of like, oh, that's cool. I, I, oh, I would want to do that someday. But when you actually 
put that together and that happens the first time, there's nothing like it. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, like 40 bucks. Yeah. You like that could, that it might as well have been 10 million. Like, exactly. From a motivation factor, Correct. you're like, oh, I, yes. can, I can do that. Yeah, because there were times later in the business when it was making multiple times that $5,000 in a day. But it was those first couple of sales that, are, that mean way more because it's like, that means this works. Yeah. The rest is just putting fuel on a fire. Yeah. That's, you know, it's, it's funny you say that, that. I think a lot of people, like, you tend to get bored in our businesses um, and we want that feeling. Um, right. Sometimes we learn how to harness that. Sometimes we don't. But there, there is something about that feeling of mm -hmm. this works. I can do that. I, I remember just even having that in real estate, like. Oh, I, I'm gonna make it. I can do this. Right, right. And um, it's such a it's such a cool experience to go through. It is. Uh, so to the postcard processing. So that project comes to an end. Um, partner issues and you know whatever. It ends. Uh, had made a whole bunch of money. Was had made this had this really fantastic experience of understanding now how this mechanism works. <clears throat> My thought process was. God damn, that was my first try. Look, let's see what I can really do if I put. <laughs> what some if I had some practice? Right. Tried like three or four things in a row after that. Bomb, bomb, bomb. And part of now looking back, not at the time I didn't think that, but part of why the things that I did bombed was I didn't care as much about them working, and I had too much money. Sometimes the money gets in the way, and I would go, "Oh, instead of really thinking something through, you just throw money at it." How many times have we done that in business? You just throw money at something thinking that's going to solve the problem. And nine times out of ten, it doesn't. And, and I had like four bombs in a row. And I was just kind of going, oh, maybe that was just luck. Shit. And during that process, I went back to doing direct mail like I, like I really was kind of my first love. And so I'd already had the internet experience where there was no mail and there's no salespeople. And then I was like, well, I, I know direct mail. Let's go back to that. Um, started business. I was, I basically up until this point, I had never, um, wanted to be the face of something. So like you said, you and Fred put the thing out, like your face is on it. You're teaching that felt weird and uncomfortable to me. I didn't want to be the infomercial guy. I didn't want to be the guy going, Hey, you know, like whatever it was, I didn't want to be on it. So there was a place back then online that you could go, actually there were many places and I went and licensed old Dan Kennedy stuff and some other stuff. So I, paid you know a fee to be able to then sell this stuff myself in the mail so i still had the same margins it was quality content and so i was selling marketing material and that business took off using just postcards and during that process i started with that business i took a lot of the money i was making and was experimenting with other ways of using postcards <clears throat> and i stumbled onto this formula by trial and error of mailing a postcard, um, the postcard gets somebody to call and listen to a recorded message, the recorded message does the pitch, and then they press one to order and it takes them into a call center and the call center person takes their order. And that was kind of the sales process. And once I nailed that, I started applying, putting as many different types of products into that as I could. And it worked with all different kinds of things. And um, there were more things that worked then I could run. And so I started, I would license, like, okay, this whole thing's set up. 
I'll give it to you. You just pay me a royalty on everything that's sold, and I'll you know consult me and keep the thing running. And I did that for like a handful of people, and literally got to just kick back and do nothing. It was like it was a really fun time, and it was right around the time my son was born, so I get to spend most of the time at home, you know, doing nothing. And then I got to the point where I was like, okay, what's the next thing I'm going to do? What if I taught this thing that I've just done? Like that process of setting that thing up. Because I wasn't out there talking about it. It was just this thing that, you know, I would do. And I said, well, you know, would people want to know about that? So I started doing, I, I started doing some webinars, not, not webinars, teleseminars at the time, and just teaching it to people. And people just, like, for no, no cost. And, you know, just for fun, just to see. I wanted to see what the response would be before I go through the effort of actually making a course, you know. Yeah. <clears throat> so I did that for, I don't know, a couple of months. And then I was like, wow, these webinars are really good. I mean, teleseminars are really great. People love this. What if I took one of those projects that's not being used right now and put together some sort of a license deal that I could sell to them on the, on the, uh, the teleseminar? So I'd get to the end teaching the thing, and then I'd say, if anybody's interested in getting one of these projects that's already ready to go, you know, I've got one, and here's a prize, and blah, blah, blah. That did phenomenally well. And so that helped me. So during the time I was doing those teleseminars, I taught my system a couple hundred times. Wow. And so once I did that, now I knew how to put that into a course because now it's like teaching helps you really get solid at what you already know. Yeah, you know, it really does. In fact, that's the reason I think a lot of us should be teaching stuff is because it helps you get so solid in it. Um, One of the things I also really like and respect about you is that you, you actually finally sold something that you were doing. Correct. It, It wasn't... You didn't come up with a method that you didn't actually do. <laughs> Never like, did that. You didn't become a millionaire by selling one million books for a dollar each. Right. You actually had something. You're like, I have this formula. Correct. It's now worked in multiple verticals. You can go go apply this to whatever you want to apply right. it to. And I, to me, that's something I look for. I, I, don't get me wrong. I click on the shit, too, that I know is absolutely, right. they're only getting rich by selling the one course, right? Sure. They don't have any other money. Because it's. Um, I'm looking for... Stuff like what could I learn from that? But it's easy. I think it's it's usually easy to spot that versus someone like you where it's like, no, you, hey, I've been through this and I'm I'm not teaching you to do something I, I haven't done myself. Yeah, and like you said, it's worked in so many different verticals. I mean, there are a couple of requirements after that that you need to make it work. But I've used pieces of it to sell self-directed IRAs, to sell health newsletters, to sell water filter, like you name it. We've figured out a way to make that process work pieces of it sometimes we have to move pieces around sure um but that that's what made me confident going okay i could i could do a course and i've got enough i had so many case studies that i could share to help me sell the course and to like make people feel confident that like oh this works for lots of different things and so put the course together started selling it using postcards and direct mail and it took off wildly and at the time, I hadn't. I've been. I had been keeping track of what was going on online, but I hadn't sold anything online since 2003. And so, I. This guy calls me. We had met through a mutual friend, and he's like, "Well, why aren't you selling your course?" Like he found out about it. And he's like, "Why aren't you selling this course online?" I said, "Well, it's doing really great offline, and the challenge is, I'm a salesman at heart, and." the way that I see things going online is you see somebody selling something 
and if it's not an e-commerce type thing, but if it's something that has to be sold, there's a sales letter, there's a button, and then there's a cart. And if I don't know if I want to read the whole thing, I just scroll to the bottom and see what the price is, right? And I said, imagine me as a salesman selling vacuum cleaners and knocking on your door and saying, Kevin, I got this $1,200 vacuum cleaner I want to sell to you, but I'm going to have to tell you about it. Slam, right? Yeah. No, I got to build value before I spring the price on them. And so I said, I just don't like the way that the, the internet doesn't allow me to do that. And he goes, oh, I can program that. This is, this is way before the invention of, you know, uh, delayed buy buttons that everybody sees now. Right. Like, this didn't exist then. Well, it, there's, there's some debate about who invented that. I be- it, it was newer. It, 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 it was definitely a novel concept. Nobody was really using it that I was aware of. As far as I knew, I, I invented it. I talked to somebody else that swears that they invented it two years prior, but I hadn't seen it. So this was your mm-hmm. like your idea. I said some, to, someone said, "Oh, I can make that come to yeah, life." Yeah, I said that, and the, and the guy I'm talking to is a programmer. He's like, "Oh, I can do that. I can just have it so that you do your whole pitch, and then they do the reveal at the end at the right time." And I'm like, "Really? All right, let's do it." The number one—it's <coughs> funny, you know what? The number one thing that Fred and I ever sold from a money standpoint came about the same way. Yeah, we had an idea for a calculator. We called it the short sale calculator. I guarantee someone listening to this. Uh, bought it, uh, we essentially we're just talking like, why can't we just have a computer or a calculator where someone says, I owe this much on my house, you put in all it's the details. worth this much, and if, a, if it starts appreciating today at these three different rates, here's how long it takes to get to zero, uh, and here's how much money that costs me in the meantime. So you don't have to do payment. the math longhand. It, like, yeah. like it just, you literally put in your address, a couple other things, and it spit out a report to you. And we went, that's awesome. Where we missed, we just licensed it to somebody and they went and sold it. And we did good on it, don't get yeah, me wrong. Yeah. But it was the same thing. He, he literally, we had the conversation. He goes, oh, I could just, he's like, I, I might need to hire one other person to program part of that. He's like, I could do that though. Right. And so he, he did. It probably cost us less than two grand to make this thing called the short sale calculator. That's awesome. And it had, had we had the vision for what we have now, we would have used it to just generate leads around the country and either close the deals ourselves or, or charge referral fees as opposed to selling you a site for a thousand bucks or something right, like that. Right. At any rate, um, so I know that I know that feeling. Like now it's so common, everyone thinks it's just always been around, but I remember the day that it came up. Yeah. Yeah, so I, w- I basically said, okay, great. Again, having sold it offline, they would get a postcard, call a phone number, listen to a recorded message, and then press one and then order with the call center. To do it online, that recorded message, I wanted it to be video because I figured that would be the most effective. So I took parts of that pitch, fixed it a little bit, and I also said, you know, when you're mailing offline, you're mailing to people who already have bought something similar. Like, I'm renting lists of buyers. Right. When you're going online, we didn't have that luxury. Like you've got keyword intent, you've got other things, but it's not the same. And so I felt like we needed more proof elements. So I said, well, why don't I go interview a bunch of the the case studies, people I've already worked with. So I flew around the country, did our testimonials, just like we're doing this in person. That's pretty amazing. And, um, you know, got all this great video footage, brought it back. And then I shot the, the actual pitch part of the video. My brother edited the whole thing together. It went online and it took off immediately. Like day one, it took off. And um, we ended up, 
So the, the, the course sold for $300. We ended up selling 30,000 units of it in 10 or 11 months or something like that. 30,000 units of it. Yeah. That's that was it. Yeah, so it was really great. And we and you know, people always ask me, "Well, why did you take it off the market?" Part of why I took it off the market was well, there's two things. One, I thought I could do better. Again, arrogance, stupidity. Um, and two, it, this was two this was like the beginning of 2010 and there was new regulation, not regulations, new rulings that came from the FTC that said that you couldn't use testimonials to sell <clears throat> and our pitch was heavily testimonial driven. Yeah. So it was like, without that, I don't know we're going to get the, the conversion rate. So we, I, so I set up a whole different sales funnel where they would get warmed up first before, you know, so change things. That's pretty, but it was a fun adventure. It that's amazing. pretty amazing. It's funny. I just, I sit back and watch sometimes on your Facebook feed because some of the people I know, I know of, I should yeah. say, some people I know, but some I just know of. Because I, I'm always kind of watching that world a little bit too, right. and because uh, it's interesting, it's super interesting. <laughs> to, I mean, to me, it is, and I just I love to see the interaction on your Facebook page where people are like, oh my goodness, you mean people call and that like some of the, and right. they might even press one, right? You know, like because you call it the press one method, right? Right, right. And so, uh, or another thing is, I, I've seen many jokes where people are like. Well, next thing you know, you're going to start mailing postcards, Luke. You know, right. is this business going to start mailing postcards? And it's it's all funny because these guys obviously all know your reputation. Right. They know that course. Um, but what I've loved about it is to it's it's the things that I, I know. Like I remember that you day you said I'll I'll give you the course if you want, and right? Because you weren't selling it anymore, right? 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 You sent it over, and I, I listened to it right away. It's still on my phone, by the way, and I, I've listened to it a, a handful of times because. That was like the first time I went, oh, like he, somebody broke down the process of how to do this thing. Right. I've really been excited about for years, but I didn't know how to do it. And that was your course literally was the first time I heard it in steps. And even though I've never had to rent a list, right. I totally, I grasped the concept and the research part of it and put it and how to take all the research of whatever my um, vertical is, vertical is right. and, and package it, start packaging it together. And all of a sudden, this thing that used to look like a mountain to me, right. I went, oh, I just walk right over. I could totally do that now. Exactly. You know? Exactly. And sometimes, like, we all do that with things that we think, and well, everybody knows how to do this. It's nothing. But, like, you're an expert. Like, you've been doing it for a long time. But then to be able to disseminate it down is, I think the only reason I was able to do that is because I had taught it a bunch of times first. Because otherwise... People before that had come to me like, well, can you show me how to do this? And I'd just, you know, rattle off a few things and they'd go, there's not enough detail in there to do it. Like, you know, that because we forget. Yeah, we forget about all the things that we're doing. But, you know, it's like that saying, like, if you, if you can't explain something easily, you don't understand it well enough right. or something to that effect. Right. And you, that's the first time anybody ever explained direct response marketing very easily and right. very like a kindergartner could understand it type of deal right. at that level and I was like oh I totally get it now and it doesn't matter if it's actually a postcard or something different or electronic I, because the principles I felt like were there yeah um, so. here's here's the weird part and a lot of people don't get this they'll look at that and they go wow that's really fantastic so you must really know what you're doing with postcards like well yeah I know some postcards things but a lot of people forget that we sold 30,000 units online. I, I, like, 
that sometimes is lost on people. Like, there's not a lot of people in the info. There's quite a few, but there's not a lot of people in the info space that have sold thirty thousand units of anything online. And that was that. That was right. Online. So it was about the postcard thing. Yeah. But th- where was it sold? What medium was it sold? Online. I mean, that's in, that's literally that's bananas when you think yeah. about it like that. Yeah. So let me ask you this: like, it's like selling an inter- internet course via mail order. People go, wow, you're really good at the internet. Yeah. But I got, you know, X number of people to buy in mail order too. I'm so, so I, good at it. I sent you a postcard about right, it. Right. And then you called the phone number about I'm not, this internet I'm not thing. saying that to toot my own horn. What I'm saying is that marketing transfers over. The yes. medium barely matters. Yeah. The medium you can learn from technical stuff, like you said, of going through, oh, now I know how to do that. It's yeah. the psychology. It's the metrics. It's knowing how to sell. Those things matter, and they transfer. I don't care what the technology is going to be. It's like, your, it's like that course for me was the glue, and it showed me, like, okay, I might have known where this step was and that step was. Right. But, like, you're like, no, 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 no. It's Yeah, but then you just go over here and here, and I was like, ah, I totally, I, I get how this works right. now. Um, okay, so... That was 2010? Yeah, that was 2010. All right, so it's 2019 right now. We're recording this. Right. So, like, does, do postcards still work, Luke? Oh, God, yes. Because this is yeah. a question realtors talk about, like, had this conversation less than 24 hours ago. Well, let me preface it by saying it's not the only thing that works. See, that's what a lot of people do is they go, oh, is this the one thing? You shouldn't have a one-legged uh, pitch. You should have multiple things yes. going. Because, you know, what did they say? It's something like, uh, um, you know, that's a single point of failure. You don't want that in your business. And if yeah. you have one way of generating leads, you're screwed. Yeah. My friend Ben describes it as if you have a stool yeah. that has four legs and you lose one, you can, you can probably okay. still balance on it, right? Maybe even with two. Right. But if you had a one-legged stool, no. you're, you're, on, you're on your ass. Right. Right? Yeah. And so, um, yeah, so I, th- I think of it that way. So, so what I think I just heard you say is direct mail does or can work today? Well, not just can, it's actually making a comeback. We're seeing response rates now. I say we, I do this as a consultant now, like I consult with other companies that want to take what they're doing online and then move it, and not move it, but actually bring traffic in offline as well. And we're seeing response rates that I haven't seen since the 90s. And I don't know exactly why, I have some theories why, Part of why my postcard course took off in 2009 is because a lot of the marketing people that were interested in direct response were having a hard... Facebook was new and nobody was really doing advertising on Facebook. A few, but not many in 2009. Google was it, but Google was getting hard. They were slapping everybody and it was getting hard to do advertising and people were looking for another thing. So I love this mail order thing. This looks fantastic. And today, fast forward 10 years, everybody's moved over to advertising on Facebook and Facebook is amazing. But it's notorious for being difficult in terms of like not being able to predict what the cost is going to be day to day. Yeah. I can tell you when I put a piece in the mail in the mail today, it's going to be the same today as it is 12 months from now. They've raised the postage rates like a penny a year or something like yeah. that. That's it. There's no, there's no change. Um, so I think that's helping drive sort of a resurgence. When I say resurgence, there's not a bunch of people doing it. It's just that the rate, the, the conversion rates we're getting are way better because you're the only thing in the mailbox. Yeah. If you've got a good mail piece, you can't send out crap. You've got to send out something that's well thought out. But if you do, uh, direct mail is phenomenal right now. Better than it's been in a long time. That's cool. I, I appreciate you saying that because um, 
I wanted, I definitely wanted some of the listeners of the show to hear that from someone who knows mail better than anybody I know. We're um, mailing currently. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you've got a couple clients that you consult with that, that are mailing, right? It's not like there's one unicorn out there that's no. having success with mail. And, and I know this anyways, again, from your Facebook feed, yeah. I see other people, some of your friends that are mm-hmm. talking about, yes, they're mailing. And for some their, of them are telling verticals. me to shut up because they're like, Luke, <laughs> don't tell dude, everybody that. Dude, stop. Yeah, they're It's working. We don't need 10 more competitors in here. <laughs> That's pretty funny. So one of the things I also, I'm just going to, apparently this show's going to be just about your Facebook page. So one, <laughs> one of the other things, uh, and I, w- I would love to end on this and then anything else that you want to add in, but one of the, the big questions I've been dying to ask you uh, leading up to this, because after we've talked about these different um, business experiences that you've had and lessons and successes and, some, and failures, is one of the things I really enjoy is when you post on Facebook about business. I like to hang out with you, like, because we don't have to talk about business, and, right? And we can talk about business, right? Sure. But one of the things I really like is you—you you do have a different viewpoint than a lot. I think the way you view interactions, whether that actually be physical or online, you know, in a store, in a restaurant, whatever that is, you tend to—I I feel like you just have a different viewpoint than most people. And so, and I know it because you go business lesson or business tip, yeah, in your Facebook posts, right? And so, or you'll say marketing friends, whatever you write first to like. I usually like do warn, that. I do that like so that like your other friends. Yeah, or it's like, like my family and friends aren't like, what the hell is he talking about? Like, it's like, hey, this is not about rock climbing today. Like, right. Skip this, and uh, we'll come. We'll come back to something else uh, more personal tomorrow. But so you, what are the top two or three things you think that are just sort of universal business truths? And I'm gonna. I, I don't know if I'm gonna steal one from you, but. I asked you about one at lunch last week, which was the lifetime value, um, because you posted about that one yeah. fairly recently, and that was something that stuck out at me. But you can talk about that, you know, go a little bit further. But like, maybe what are one or two other things besides the lifetime value of a customer and how you like your viewpoint on that? So the lifetime value of a customer is something that everybody gives lip service to, and very few people that I've worked with when I when I work with them directly everybody's excited about getting a new customer. And, and it's great. I love doing that. That certainly is part of your business, but it's really only one-third of your business. And if you really do things right, it probably should only be about 20% of your business. If you're taking care of customers, delivering um, value, and I know that word is highly overused right now. Oh, am I giving value? In fact, I think it's gotten to the point where it's almost hilarious. Like, you know if you're really giving value, yeah. right? But if you're providing a service that people really, really are happy about, then they're going to do business with you longer and they're going to refer you to other people. And I think that, again, that's given lip service. But if you spent... So there's a difference between knowing that that's a truth and actually acting upon it. So most people in business are willing to spend marketing dollars to get customers because they just understand that's that's part of the deal. And that's an exciting part of the deal, and it's really sexy, but it's not where all the money's at. You've got to have a constant flow of customers coming in, new clients, customers coming in. But if you took some of those marketing dollars, dollars, not just like, oh, I'm doing really good service. Yeah, so is everybody else. So are all your competitors. But if you spend some of those marketing dollars loving your existing customers, that will pay off so much bigger than your budget on the front end. 
That's kind of what we yeah. talked a little bit about at lunch. Like, what can you do with your existing database? Your existing, I hate using that word database. They're, they're people. Yeah. With your existing people, what can you do to remind them what you do? To remind them that you work on referrals? To remind them um, that you know maybe the market's right to, to sell or to buy or whatever? Things that you can do that don't do anything like that, that literally are just like, you know, send them a Starbucks card. Right. You know, whatever. There's a, we talked about a whole bunch of different things, but instead of just giving all of your energy to the new customers... If you're brand new, you've got to focus on the new customers because you've got no you don't have you, you have no people to go yeah. to. But if you've been in business for even a year, and many people have been in business five six years and have this big backlog of people they've worked with in the past, that is a giant giant asset that most people are just doing nothing with except for hoping that someday they'll call them. Yeah, and it goes for every kind of business. We're talking about realtors, but it's really really bad in the direct response world because the direct response guys spend all of their time. The really good ones will have, you know, one or two upsells that happen a little bit after the first sale and they'll go, yeah, man, the lifetime value is X number of dollars. Oh, really great. So what time, like what period of time does that take? Oh yeah, that's like 30 days. Okay. So you've got people that are on your list now, your, your customer list for three years. You're telling me that after the 30 days, you've never offered them anything else? You've never done anything else to help them? That's ridiculous. They spend, you know, a bazillion dollars getting new people coming in on Facebook. It like, sounds to me like they're confusing the current total value of my offerings versus li and lifetime value. Right. Everybody's looking at the sexy numbers, cart value, which yeah. is like, you know, how much did they buy at the point of purchase? The, you know, conversion rate on the, the ad cost, the CPA. All of those things are fun to talk about because it's like, oh, you can make this little tweak. <laughs> it's less sexy to talk about the back end, but there's, I mean, literally, you can send an email and bring in more money than what it would have cost you to, yeah, you know, yeah. So that's one. That's one little thing. Um, you kind of put me on the spot. I'm thinking about uh, there's so many different ways. I guess at heart, I'm a contrarian. So when somebody says something, I listen to it. If 10 people say something, they go, eh, it's probably bullshit. I like that. You um... Like, I'll listen to an expert, but if there's 10 experts saying the same thing, I'm going to question it. doesn't mean it's bullshit, but I'm going to certainly question it. You, okay. I like to zig when everybody else is zag. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, it's probably one of the things I, also that I, that I appreciate about you. Um, you, you also said something one time too, is it, being somebody that obviously studies other marketers and other right. businesses, you're, it's, I forget how you said it, but what I heard or what I read and in, in my mind internalizes, I'm not just looking at what they're telling me that they're <laughs> selling me. I'm actually looking at what they're doing. Yeah. Don't listen to what they're saying. Watch what they're doing. Yeah. That, okay. Yeah. That's what And that's every marketer. Yeah. Um, and I gave several examples. I don't want to call them all out here again, yeah. but examples of people who were doing something or they were saying, hey, this is what you should do. But then when you really look at what they're doing, that's not what they're doing. It's totally different. Correct. Yeah. And I, I think that has to do with like, okay. Who, like, One of them was Dan Kennedy, our hero. You're right. He, he, was, he, was, he was basically on stage every single week. He did two things that were like that met this rule. He was on stage every weekend doing the Peter Lowe tour. It, it lasted for almost 10 years. 
Wow, I didn't and realize he spoke went for that long. two, three days a week for ten years straight, pitching people on the idea of automated marketing. And what's he doing? Manual labor. Yeah. He's not doing automated marketing. Yeah. He's doing manual labor. Yep. So that's that's an example. Of but that. That, that, that that's a great example. And that's not to say that his automated marketing no. maybe wasn't amazing. No. I mean, a lot. in fact, a lot of his stuff no, is amazing. And he was doing manual labor. And it's kind of like uh, we were talking about someone when you first walked in the building today. And he used to also talk about always do niche marketing. And he was selling to the masses. No. That's interesting. I mean, ah, yeah, it's so funny. They, I told people to do postcard marketing. I was doing it online. online. Yeah, so... It's not that there's, it's not looking at it and going, oh, that person's a hypocrite. It's basically saying, oh, that works and. And there's more to the story. Yeah. There's no black and white. There's no one single thing that's going to be the magic arrow that's going to, that's going to kill the beast. I was talking about Adam Robinson when you walked in and he, he was on this podcast. They happened to be talking about investing. Okay. And like these famous value investors and obviously Warren Buffett comes up, but. He, he basically debunks the myth of like, no, these guys aren't all using the same formula. He's like, <laughs> there's something that everybody else doesn't know that they're looking at. Right. Like, you have to understand, like, right. there's more to this story than what, the, than what we think the story is. Right. And so that was what jumped out to me about that Facebook post as well. So, all right, dude, anything else you want to add in? Any, 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 any last cry you want to get out to the realtors of mostly United States of America, probably a handful in Canada as well? Um, any messages you want to get out, whether about business marketing or life just in remember general? that you're not you're not really in the business of of putting people in houses. You're in the business of letting people know that that's what you do. I think that's solid. It's actually that's a really good way to end. So next level agents podcast. We will uh, talk to you next time. This is my friend Luke Jaden. Where can people catch up with you? At? Uh, or do you even allow people? Yeah, I mean, I have a. Uh, there's hardly anybody on there. I have a public Facebook page, Luke Jaden. It's Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash Luke Jaden. I have a public one. I also have a private one. I mean, you can reach out there. Uh, I've got a, a LukeJaden.com. You can go subscribe to an email list, you know, my newsletter. Do it. It's cool. He writes pretty good emails when he writes them. <laughs> I, I enjoy them. So they're cool. fun. All right. LukeJaden.com. Luke, thanks yeah, a lot, buddy. been fun. I appreciate it, man. Hey, that's it for today. Thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate it. If you found this valuable, do us a favor. Please review us on iTunes or wherever you're listening and share this with your friends. And for more great content, check out KevinAndFred.com. That's KevinAndFred.com. We'll see you soon.